Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Tara Tuttle and with me is Rebecca Mazzino and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to this week's episode. This week is uh, an exciting week for me because I get to interview somebody that I am a bit of a fan of and is quite well known in our industry and in the world of decluttering and organising. And I have today with me Matt Paxton. Now Matt Paxton has been on the TV show Hoarders so you've probably seen him there. He also has his own show Legacy List with Matt Paxton. He has done all sorts of things including helping Jim Kimmel clean out an office, which would be um, fun to watch. I think I haven't watched that one yet, but I'm pretty keen to do that. Um, And he has been in our industry decluttering and organizing and downsizing for a good 20 years. And so he's been doing it longer than than me, which, you know, in America, that's not unusual, but in Australia, (laughs) there hasn't been a lot that many people doing it longer than me. So welcome, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. So you have quite a um, a history in, in this industry and you've done a lot of stuff, but the main reason you're here today is because you've got a new book coming out. So we're definitely going to talk about the, the new book as well and I'm going to try not to ask you questions that mean that you have to then tell me what the entire book is so people don't buy it, but <laughs> we are going to. Well, it's pretty um, simple. It's it's my 20 years of experience and then there's a lot of yeah. cool stories in between, you know. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. Was and a, that's the I thing. Was a, that, yeah. You've got some cool, you, you've got so many stories. I, I think that. Tons. In, yeah. See, when people ask me like, you know, oh, what's the weirdest thing you found or, yeah. you know, what did this client do or whatever, I, I, I come up like I've done all of this stuff, but I come up quite quite dry you know I'm like I have to sit and really think about it did you have to really think hard or does it all just come flying back to you yeah I I went back and like I started to when the pandemic started here in the states I knew I was like okay this is my chance to write this book I've been wanting to write it for the last couple of years and so I started just going through back all my old stories I started listening to old podcasts I had been on I listened mm-hmm. to like you know, when I was on Howard Stern, like stories I told 10 years ago. And what it would do is it just made me start thinking about all these crazy stories. And so I had a list of about probably about 300 stories that I just loved, you know, and I just thought they were awesome. And I took the time I was like, okay, everyone else is like getting drunk during the pandemic. I'm going to (laughs) like really focus. And so I've got content for probably another three books, man. I mean, like I got so many stories now. Yeah. And I just, and, and then new ones pop up every week, you know, and you're like, oh my God, I forgot about that lady. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, I think that happens with me as well. And when I was reading your book, I was getting triggered with my own memories as well. So yeah, that was another mm-hmm. thing I found that they did sort of come back to me. Um, there a, so this- a couple times, one of the ladies in the book, it's actually my grandma. I won't tell you which one. Oh, yeah. So I had to, I had to switch that one up because she doesn't want to be in the book because she says I'm not a hoarder. And, uh, this is <laughs> well, my this 90s. is the thing. Yeah, 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 but you don't only work with people who hoard. So you've uh, obviously done lots of work with people who hoard, but you also work with people who don't. And I think some people do sort of get a bit sensitive of like, well, does needing a professional organizer or a professional declutterer make me, you know, some, uh, somebody who's hoarding? And I think that's something that some people do so worry about, but definitely doesn't. That's that's one of the challenges of being on a show like Hoarders. Mm. Um, you end up being the guy from Hoarders and then everybody like it, there be, there was a point in my life where nobody wanted me to park my truck in front of their house because they didn't mm. want people to think that they were hoarders. And, you know, hoarding is, is a big deal. 
but it's, it's such a small part of decluttering. And, and a majority of the clients that we have and, and people that I work with, they're not hoarders. They just got a lot of stuff. And mm. it is a very, I mean, it's not just an American thing, but overconsumption and commercialism is a very American thing. And so a lot mm. of our, a lot of my clients, they're not hoarders. They just lived in a house for 50 years and they got a lot mm. of stuff. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, hoarding is a chance. I mean, I always say it's like James Taylor. People want him. Um, you know, no one wants to hear his new album. They want to hear stuff he played 20 years ago, you know, or really 40 years ago for him. And like, yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm nobody. It was really a challenge for me to, to especially get my new show and to get a new book out here and really say, Hey, this isn't about hoarding. This is just about mm. like your grandma and your grandpa and like all the relatives that we all have. It's just about like the stuff they had in their homes. Yeah. And that's the thing I really noticed about this book because I went in without actually reading. Well, because I read a pre-release of your book, there was no hype about it. There's no sort of nothing yeah. else about it. And so I went in kind of cold, not knowing what it was going to be about. And then I didn't get far over the way through and I went, oh, I know what this is about. Like this, this is downsizing. You know, this is, you know, either mainly for what I see that the book is, is to help somebody work through the process of downsizing or clearing an estate or help somebody know how to help somebody else go through that yeah. experience. Um, and given that that's what we do every day, uh, I related really strongly to your book and I was going through it. I was like, oh, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And, you know, oh, I, it was, you I know, doubt there's much really... new in there. Yeah, I doubt there's it's... a whole lot new for professionals. You know, it's just put a different way. Yeah. But I have to say, though, like the amount of detail that you went into, especially in your resources sections, mm -hmm. that is something that I haven't seen that much detail. Even as a professional, I went through and went, huh, I'm going to actually read. I've skipped through over it because it wasn't necessarily relevant. Yeah. The detail wasn't relevant to our interview. But I went, I'm going to go back and just double check because you've done, you've gone into so much detail there that that is actually really helpful for professionals as well as somebody else. And yeah, I and do just, think... I was going to say, and I do think that your book would be helpful for professionals and I am going to encourage like professional organisers listening to actually read your book because it, even though they might have done this before, they haven't done it the same way you have and they haven't done it as many times as you and the amount of problems that can crop up is something that only you really have that. that, yeah. that. And it's only from experience that you actually have all these and I even one of the times I actually said to Mick, hey, hey, listen to what happened to this guy because he does what you do. You know, he manages yeah. the moves. And I told him one of the stories and he went, whoa. He goes, how do you handle that? And so then I told him. But it was like, you know, the, we, the we really related. Yeah. Yeah. Is it the old lady that didn't know where she was going? <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. like, yeah. no, like, let's ring up and see how we can park in your new apartment block. Oh, you don't. I'm not going to give her oh, away, dude. but it's like, yeah. she was a, she was a good friend. I had known her most of my life. I had, uh, I went to church with her. Like it was, I was like, Oh my God, I cannot. And I've been doing this, you know, a decade at that point. And it was like, yeah, and you just did not around, see it coming. No, this is going to get around town. But and it was just for the listeners. You'll know what, when you read the book, you'll know the story I'm talking about, but it was like, it was like, man, this looks really bad on me and my and my employees, you know. And I was like, oh my god! And I was like, well, if you can't, can't laugh at it, you know, sometimes yeah. so let's let's make that bigger for for any professional or person listening. You know, there yeah. you will, you will make a mistake in this process, man. And sometimes it's such a big mistake, you just have to laugh, or you're going <laughs> to drive yourself crazy. I mean, yeah, that one's definitely one of those. There's a lot of humor in this book. 
And mm-hmm. it's on purpose because like, there's some really deep emotions that we all, no matter where we live or who, you know, who our clients are. I mean, there's some really serious topics here and, mm-hmm. and you have to be able to, I, I've found that humor is the only way out of rock bottom. And that's one of the things I took from hoarders working, you know, I, the first 10 years of my career is pretty much only hoarders and mm-hmm. not the TV show. I mean, I did the TV show, but I would, you know, I was doing another hundred to 150 clean outs every year. Um, I mean, when I started, I was 24 and my dad, my stepdad mm. and both my grandfathers had died. And so I, I was a kid. I had, I didn't even have any children. And I mean, and now I have seven. So like that puts you on <laughs> lifespan. I mm. you know, I was so young. So, I mean, I remember we used to, we'd sleep in our cars when we cleaned houses, we would camp in people's backyards. Sometimes we'd sleep in the house that we were cleaning just because we were trying yeah. to make money and we were learning our way around. And like, it was, we learned so much, but what I, what I take away, if I have to sum up my entire, you know, 10 year history in, in hoarding, it was like, these are like really good people and mm. they've just, they're down and out. Something bad's happened to them and you got to help them get out of rock bottom. And if you judge them, if you stand up on top of that hill and you, and you, they're at the bottom, man, and you're, no matter who you are, you're at the top. And if you're judging them, they're not coming out. You got to go down with them. You got to hug them and you got to hold hands. You got to walk out together. And, and, and humor is really the only tool to do that with, I believe, humor and compassion. And so I hope that really comes through in the book in, in any part of, you know, if you're helping people do their closets, you still can do it with humor and compassion. And I think the mm. book really gets us, gets us going in that direction. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is to, to laugh with clients. It, it, that humor breaks down, you know, a lot. And obviously, you know, you've got to time your jokes well. And um, yeah. sometimes some fall flat. <laughs> you oh, know, yes. if you have to explain a joke, you know you've done it wrong. Um, yeah. But, you know, it is it is a really good way <laughs> to connect with people. Uh, mm. And, you know, and I, I, I like you, I've been doing this for over 15 years. And so I, I, I've found the same thing is that connection is incredibly important. And that's something that definitely comes through in your book and the one of the first things that you talk about is listening so for those that are I mean it's it's either listening or it's finding someone to listen depending on who you are in this process whether you're helping someone or whether you're doing it yourself so you know what's your view on why listening is so important in this well if you're a professional you need to listen because the the person is just they might be quiet. They might be, you know, the client is often doesn't, the client doesn't always want to be in the situation that they're in. Hmm. And so when you and I sit down with them, they knew it was coming, but rarely is this like, they're super excited. They're like, Hey, I got a lot of extra money and a lot of extra time. Let's do this. <laughs> like I've, I've never received that phone call. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I know they're, they're vulnerable and they're also, we're getting ready to open up like a massive box, right? Of, and I don't mean physical box. I mean, we're getting ready to open up 50 years of emotions. And so I've just learned like, and I'm a talker, as you can tell, I'll I'll talk all day, but like, I've really learned that like, if you listen up first, like it gets them a lot more comfortable. And so I learned to tell like two minute stories, three minute stories, and then that gets them comfortable enough to then pour out. And then if you're the the person helping, they, they, you just, they sometimes, you know, I probably didn't learn this till way late into my marriage, my first marriage, that it's it's more important to listen than to solve the problem. <laughs> and and any men listening to this, please write that down. Okay. Like the more <laughs> you know, you don't need to fix it, you just need to listen. And so when I started taking that to work, it was like, oh man, like we got a lot more done faster because I didn't try to fix everything on the first day. I was just there to, you know, hang out. And to me, I've especially now with hoarding and, and with downsizing. The first day is not really about progress. It's about earning trust. Mm. And if I'm talking the whole time, 
I'm not earning their trust. I'm, they're going to start to think, dude, I can't trust this guy because he's talking so much, you know? And so I've always made it a really just a, aggressive, you know, on purpose, intentional thing to just listen. And, and then if you're the, the actual person cleaning, I really believe that you, you have to tell your stories to someone else. I hope it's not virtually. I hope you're able to do someone in your house. But even myself, I mean, I had one of my, one of my partners, former employees came and helped me clean out my house. And I needed somebody to tell my stories to because it's, it's hard, you know, you really doubt yourself when you're holding that item and you're like, oh, I don't know. Do I need this? Like, do I want to? And you're, tell, you're talking to yourself. You can talk circles. But when you're telling that story to a friend, you really get to tell the awesomeness of it. And the story lives and it builds up. And then you, when you tell that story, it is easier to let go of the item. Yeah. So with people who do get somebody else in to listen, <laughs> I've already got an answer to this question myself, but <laughs> from my perspective, but is there any person that you would recommend or any type of person you recommend that you do not, do not get in to help you? Oh, that's a great question that yes. Um, <laughs> Somebody you know, talks talk all to, the time, maybe. <laughs> yeah. The guy that's in there to, for themselves, not for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I typically, it's that like, and I've been this person, right? So I can say this, like, I mean, like I've been that, you know, third son that never did finish college right and just didn't have his life going and he's trying so hard to prove to the world that he's going to be okay um that guy's not there to help you that guy's just trying to get beer money like he's mm. not ready yet and so like i don't always bring people in that need help i tend to bring in um, people that just w- want to be there that just want to help and sometimes it's a like second daughter or you know or, or sometimes first daughter's very great like it, you know you're listening right now you know exactly who it is it's usually a family member that they're just not right for it and if your gut mm. and your hunch is telling you it's not that's okay um that mm. you know we always in hoarding we always had a challenge of like the hoarder's girlfriend if the hoarder had a girlfriend dude forget it because she was gonna just run the whole situation and she wasn't gonna let us like actually do our thing. And so, you know, mm. you typically know right away if that person's not the right fit, but I, I would, the point of that question is, is like, if, if you think they're not the right person, then trust your hunch and, and they're not and don't invite them. And that's okay to say, you know, no, mm. no, thank you. I mean, if, if my car broke down and my brother was like, Oh, I'll fix it. How, great. How many houses, have you, how many cars have you fixed? Oh, none. I've never even looked in an engine before, but let me see what I can do. You'd be mm. like, no way. That's dude. Say, but I, I own a car. car. Yeah. I own a car, so mm-hmm. I'm sure I can fix it. Yeah. You know. And that, I think that's the, the ones that are most aggressive about asking you if you want mm-hmm. help. The ones that have been saying, yeah. you know, can I come and clean out your garage? You know, I, I'm really like, I'm really worried about, you know, you've got too much stuff in your basement. Let me go and clean it out. That type of person is one that I'm always mm-hmm. wary of. It depends on the way they, they do it. But like you said, their their agenda if their agenda is the one that comes to the forefront when they're doing the work or whatever yep. then they're not the person you know it needs if to be. they're bringing if they're bringing moving gloves and boxes to the funeral like that's not the person you want in mm. this process right like mm. if they're and some people grieve differently don't get me wrong some people grieve if this is a mistake through action situation. Mm. they they grieve through action and that's respectable but it may not be right for your situation mm. like they're just ready to go, man. I mean, I think about when my when my dad died, um, my brother sorted through a jar of pennies and I was so angry. We were kids, you know, and I was just so angry. I was like, I'm cleaning this house. Why are you sorting through a jar of pennies? It took me another 15 years to realize, dude, that's just how he grieves. He had to, he had to sort through a thousand pennies to get to a place. And I, I needed to sort through clothes and we, mm-hmm. but you know, 
unfortunately, he, neither one of us really understood that at the time. And we both got mad at each other. He thought I was going through this house too fast. And I thought he was yeah. being lazy and wasn't helping. And, and it turns out we both were grieving, you know, appropriately yet, just in our own yeah. pace. But if someone's grieving at not the pace that's right for you, they're not the right person to bring in. Yeah. But what if you don't have a choice? So what if you're siblings or co-executors or something like that and you're mm-hmm. both like you and your brother, Ooh. very different would yeah. a third party be a help or is there another way to work together? Yeah, if it's you, yeah, that's always tough when the when two siblings are uh, co-executors. That's that's challenging because rarely, a, you know, older brother and, old, and younger brother, they're not going to jive on everything. And I would advise you to, you've got to work together first. A third party typically just pits the other two parties away from each other more. I think mm-hmm. you got to find a way. And then what I tend to do is on that is to say, look, look at the financial side of this. You guys can, you know, find in the financial side of your time, you guys could argue all day long, but you're sitting on a lot of assets and a lot of time that you probably don't have. And you're going to be away from your family. So I try to say, Hey, like this is the best incentive to get along is the fact that this asset sits here and you're actually, you know, the more you guys fight, the more time and money it's going to cost you to do this. And mm-hmm. I've seen families really get their act together pretty quickly. When they, when I put it on a spreadsheet, I'm like, "Hey guys, if you argue for this whole week, eight hours, look at you know this house could sell in this market. You could make an extra, you know, hundred grand if you guys get along." And then they're like, "Oh, yeah, I think I will keep my mouth shut here." You know, <laughs> now, a professional, a professional organizer, a professional move manager, that's a different story. And I think a lot of people should hire a professional more often mm-hmm. than not. Um, I mean, yeah, I hired well, a professional move manager for myself. For yourself, yeah, yeah. I mean, just because I needed help because it's too emotional for me. I was going through my dad's stuff. I was going through my mom's stuff. I was going through my grandparents' stuff. I was going through my first marriage stuff, you know, failed businesses, successful. I mean, I was going through so many emotions and I was, I lived in the same neighborhood for 30 years, two different houses, but I grew up in this neighborhood, like literally Mm -hmm. born there, went to high school, went on to college, moved away, came back in my thirties to raise my family in the same neighborhood. So tons of emotions. I needed an independent third party, a professional third party to really help me on to, to stay on task. And I was literally writing this book when I did that. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? How we can be both an expert in something and also need help with it at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, lots of professional organizers I know will say that they get in a professional organizer every year, you know, to, to help yeah. them just look at something from a different perspective because, and, and so many people that I work with who live in clutter say, I could easily go and help my friend declutter. I just cannot yeah. do it for myself. And the reason is it's emotional. It's yeah. it's not about, Stores. and that, that just then just tells us, what we all know as professionals is that actually none of this is about the stuff at all. It's never, never yeah. about the stuff ever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's attached to the items and ironically, like, mm. I mean, and, and, and I'll tell you the same thing on the extreme hoarding. It was never about the stuff. It was about whatever trauma happened to them. Yeah. You know, exactly. same thing with seniors. It's about the pride or, you know, of how hard they worked to get here post-war, you know, hard work, mm. you know, depression era kids that worked really, really hard. And the, their pride is different than this generation's, right? It's more of a positive pride and they, and they worked and earned for this stuff. And so they, they don't let go, but it's, again, it's all memories, it's all emotions. And that's why it's hard to get rid of. Yeah. Our brain and our heart put all these tendrils out and it stick to things. And, and we yeah. walk through life dragging those things along with us. And um, when we have to downsize, we have to figure out a way to cut those. And that 
that having all of that stuff and those connections is comforting. Um, and so, you know, even if you want to live with less stuff, it's still not easy to do because you, you have to, to cut them off. Yeah, no, I mean, I look, I've, I've converted to minimalism here in the last year at 46 years old and I've, I've found new life in it. I really have. I mean, I've really found happiness and joy in less stuff. And here I am. I spent the last 20 years helping people clear out their houses. And yet my house mm. was still pretty full, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, really, isn't it? Oh, my God. It's the best thing that happened to me. To me. Yeah. And, and there was a, a wife attached to that. So that makes that a little easier, you know. But uh, Yeah. 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 Um, so then as far as the actual process of this downsizing, um, yeah. so you've downsized as a young person. Um yeah. You downsized your possessions. You've upsized your life in certain, in many ways, especially with well the number said. of children that yes. you now have all together. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when people are downsizing, one of the things that um, you do cover off in your book is mistakes that people make. So what are the most common mistakes people make when they're trying to do the downsizing by themselves? The, the number one mistake is they don't have a finish line, right? They don't have a goal. Like they'll call me and say, hey, I'm ready to move. Like, I really got to move. I go, great. Where are you going? Oh, I don't know. I haven't even thought about it really, but I, but I need to start de- decluttering. And what I found is they, the decluttering is actually, they're doing that instead of making the harder decision, which is where you're going to move. And uh, I, I have one client compared- exactly who's yeah. been doing that for two years. Mm-hmm. Two years. She's almost, we're, we've almost got her. I've got her on the precipice <laughs> of actually, so, you know, finding yeah. a new place, but it's taken two years. Yeah. And by the way, yeah, the finish line might be that you're staying in that home. You're going to age in place. Mm. Awesome. The finish line might be that you're moving into your um, your adult children's home. The finish line might be that you're going to have a roommate, like home sharing. Mm. It could be many, many things. It doesn't have to be the traditional, you know, moving into a retirement community. But but you've got to be clear on where you're going first. Because mm. then, you you know, you can't pack for a vacation if you don't know if you're going to the mountains or the ocean. You, yeah, you've got exactly. to know where you're going. And I tell people that all the time and they'll be like, great. Okay. So when can you start? I'll be like, great. When you tell me where you're going. And mm. they're like, yeah, we're not ready to do that yet. And I say, I, I finally, about three years ago, I said, great. Um, I'm not going to, to work for you until mm. you can tell me where you're going because otherwise I'm stealing your money. I think it's unethical. Now, if you want me to help you figure out where to go, that's a different scenario. That's I'm happy to thing. do that. Mm. Yeah, but like yeah. I told people, I'm like, man, unless you know where you're going, like I just, that's the biggest mistake. And then the why, and I talk a lot about this in the book is like the, what's your goal here? Like, are you going for independence? Are you going for, to be, you know, closer to your grandkids? I'm in a bit of a, you know, weight loss journey right now. I've lost 20 pounds. What's that? Two stones. I don't know what you guys go by. I don't know. the, the uh, <laughs> We go by but, whatever the rest of the world does except for America. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a I love it. Americans yeah. are so funny. We, we always, we laugh at Americans how they're like, oh, that's right. You guys use the metric system. Yeah. We're like, the whole yeah. world uses the metric <laughs> system, dude. Yep. You guys are the, min- the, the minimum, the minority. Yes. It's yes, so we are. And we think the majority. <laughs> you just summed up being American right there. Right? <laughs> Yeah. No, we, um, so I've lost a lot of weight and, uh, I've lost about 10% of my body weight and, uh, and the why is what's important, right? I want to be, my kids asked me the other day, my 12 year old said, Hey dad, are you going to be, are you going to die the same time your dad died? I go, what do you mean? And he goes, well, your dad was 52. And he goes, you're 46. He goes, Mm -hmm. if you die, I was thinking about this the other night and he goes, if you die the same age your dad does, 
did. Um, I'm not going to be in high school yet, dad. I'm not going to be out of high school. And I go, you think about this. He goes, I think about it all the time. Mm. And I was like, okay, I want to be a grandpa. Like that's my why. And so I have it on the wall, like in my office, it says grandpa. And so the reason I'm doing that is because my why is what keeps you focused when it gets hard. Believe it Mm. or not, downsizing is actually really hard. And Mm. it's the easiest thing to quit because you've been quitting it for 20 years. Right. And people say, well, I'm not a hoarder. I just got a little bit of stuff. Exactly. You can shut a door to a bedroom and you can avoid it for five more years. Right. Like it's actually easier to quit when you don't have a lot of stuff. The hoarding stuff pretty much works itself out. I mean, you pretty much the the government will make you clean up your house eventually. But when it's grandma's house and you can put it in a guest bedroom or you can put it in a closet and put it somewhere and shut the door. You can avoid it for a long time. And so I tell everybody, you got to have your why because it keeps you going when you decide to quit. And so for yeah. me, like on my weight loss journey, I, w- I want to be a grandpa. And that's why I keep going. And for my housing, like I moved here, I wanted to, to have a happy family. I wanted to have a bigger family. And that's why, I, you know, I was ready to quit. I was ready to not move because it was so mm. hard. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I was like, I want to have a family. I want to have a happy yeah. family. So I'm going to do it. And I went and I had to kind of take a leap of faith. I had to kind of had to jump to do it. But that why is what keeps you focused. And that's so mental and so emotional. Um, but I'm telling you, it's one of the most important parts of downsizing. You've got to be yeah. clear up front where you're going and why you're doing it. And why you're doing it. Yeah. yeah. We've just been through this as well with my mother-in-law um, who has is moving. She's probably in about three weeks she'll be moving into um, her new place. And it was the first time that we had moved from doing this professionally to doing it as a family. Um, and it was, you know, you know, one of the things that she she got stuck on the type of unit she was offered and it wasn't the one she had put her name down for. However, we knew that she'd been given an opportunity here that might not come for another year. And mm-hmm. I said to her, whether or not the living room is arranged, you know, east, west or north, south, that is not, that's what she she's stuck on. She's stuck on, oh, the sun's going to come in and it's going to be hot. Mm. And I said, do you want to spend another year being lonely? Like, you know, this is what, like the reason why you're moving is so that you can be closer to us and you can be in another, in a setting with other people that are like you and that, you know, you have things in common with and that you can see every day and, you know, this, you're not isolated. And I said, and, you know, and I think it was interesting because Mick also was getting stuck on those logistics of the particular type of unit. And I just came in and I said, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. The fact that you are there and you are achieving the goals that you want to achieve is what matters, not which orientation the yeah. unit has. And so she did. She she sort of finally decided, I'm going to take that that unit now instead of waiting another year. I said, because you are going to be on your own in that place for another year, possibly. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think that's what did it. We went back to that why. Why is she moving? She's moving because she wants to be closer and more, more connected, not yep. because she the wants why, a particular type of lounge yeah, room. The yeah. why keeps you focused. The details mm. are, are really just... Um, it's procrastination. And so that exact same scenario mm. you're talking about happens with a lot of our clients when they're trying to sell their stuff. They're like, oh yeah, I want to get rid of it. And I talk about this a lot in the book, right? Like, I'm like, hey, remember, you already decided you didn't want the item. And now three year, three months later, you're arguing over $5, right? Mm. Like, and I see so many things like, well, I paid X for this. And when they say that, I say, oh, no, 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 stop. You're just nervous about moving. You don't want to move. This is your procrastination because now they can blame the not moving. Well, I didn't get $100 for my sofa. They only offered me 95 So yeah, I'm not going to move now. I'm out, right? And, and I'm, I'm making a ridiculous, exaggerated claim here. But like I see so much of it's human behavior where we, we start to second guess ourselves and we look for anything to blame. Mm. 
to mm-hmm. not make that decision as opposed to just own it ourselves. And, and that's why that why is so important. You got to come back to, okay, great. If you want independence or you want to be around people your own age, you want socialization, then you might have to give up 20 bucks on an extra, you know, on, on, a, yeah. on your records or something. But yeah. we, it's so easy to blame anything else to get out of it. And so I just really try to encourage people to look at yourself and look at your behavior, you know, and if someone, if a friend was saying this to you, you would, you would, you would tell them they're being ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And, yes. and so I tell them all the time, like, how would you say, I said, well, what would you say to Miss Janet down the hall? What would you say to that? And they're like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'd probably tell her to stop being silly. It's like, exactly. You know? Yeah. And so they I don't even bother answering that question. Sometimes they just look mm-hmm. at you and go, you got me. <laughs> yeah. Like, totally. <laughs> totally. I say, know. what would you tell your, no. yeah, what would you tell your grandson in this scenario? I'll ask, I'll turn it back on them. Well, I don't know. How would you feel if your grandson asked this? What would you tell him to do? Oh, I would tell him to grow up, to stop. <laughs> don't be upset about it. You know, big picture. I'm like, yeah, it's the same thing. So, I mean, it, look, it's a hard process and we need coaches. And I think back to the original question is like, do I really, I think it's important to hire a professional when you need it. Um, hmm. And I often tell families, like if you, I mean, this book, you could do it yourself. If you get this book, it'll give you all the resources. You could absolutely hmm. do it yourself. Doesn't mean that you should. I want hmm. you to give, if the family insists on doing it, great. Give it one day. And then like, don't go buy all the supplies to do it the whole house. Like, like literally just do it for a day and then regroup and decide, do we really want to spend the next three months doing this? Right. Like, is this what we really, really want to do? Because I think it's really important to, um, I I think it's more important to hear the stories of the items and, you know, have professionals do the dirty work, get the house clean and get the items ready that you can then sit down with the family and go through the stories and sell those memories and really create a legacy. And, Mm. And that's what I want the families to spend time on. Yeah. Well, I just I think some families just flat out can't afford it, and they yeah. have to do it themselves, and that's fine too. And if you do, yeah. all the resources are here. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. what the book the book is very practical in that way, and um, the book actually is a good mixture of the logistical and the practical side of things as well as the emotional side. But I think it would also be helpful if someone was going to hire a professional to still buy this book, because one of the things that you mention in your book is scammers in mm-hmm. the industry and in either the secondhand industry or in the, the moving and downsizing industry. And um, we've, having been in this business for years as well, we've experienced some scammers. We've come across yeah. clients who have told us stories. Um, so, you know, what kind of scams have you seen and, you know, how can people protect themselves? Yeah, so movers, the, the actual professionals, um, ask for references and call the references. That's something a lot of people don't do. They say, oh, give me references. And you get two references and you never call them. Mm. Well, you know, you need to call a couple and make, and see how it went. And there's nothing wrong with that. Even when you're, I mean, especially when you're hiring a professional organizer, I think it's important to call and make sure that they fit your personality. Not mm-hmm. that a, an organizer is going to scam you, but I will tell you as the aging population grows, we're seeing scammers everywhere, Right. And so I just think it's really important to ask, ask for insurance, ask for past clients. Um, mm. And and that'll weed out some of the guys right away. The, the biggest place we see it is in the secondhand industry, as you say, in the resale yeah. industry, where people are selling items and online. If you're not comfortable selling it online, you're probably not going to be. Uh, I'll be mm. really honest. Here in the States, I do use Facebook Marketplace quite a bit because mm. it's, an, it's a safer too. online community. Craigslist is not really safe for us. We don't know who's going to show up. Um, but on Facebook, a local buy nothing group, it's really nice to see that, you know, I know if the guy's buying a bike from me, I can look up to see who he knows. Right. And yeah. I say, oh, well, gosh, he knows this person, this person, this person. I feel a little yeah. more comfortable about that. 
if they yes. don't know anyone in my neighborhood, I'm a little, I, I'm, I'd be a little hesitant. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to talk about well as well was yeah. your legacy list. So not yeah. the show, but the mm-hmm. concept. Um, okay. So tell our listeners about the legacy list and why it's important in, in the whole process. Okay, so Legacy List, it is the title of my show in the States. You're not able to see it outside of the States right now because it's public television. But the concept is in the book and it's also in there. Legacy List is a list of items, five or six items that you must keep. I mean, they're the, to me, it's the, things you, it's the first item you decide to keep. It's five or six items that will tell your family's story after you're gone. Right. So they're mm-hmm. so big. They're not, maybe not always, they're not, they're usually not financially important. They're usually emotionally important. So for me, it's like my dad's gold ring, right? My dad, um, I, I think, I don't know if I remember the book or not, but my, my dad was a uh, advertising executive. He was, we were uh, rich yeah, and poor a hundred different yeah. times. Yeah. We're, we're rich and poor a hundred different times. <laughs> and, um, he, at one point he was dead broke I and mean, he could not afford his own rent. And he somehow convinced a major retailer here in the U S to let him do his catalog. And I mean, he just needed money. He was broke. I mean, he had my mom money for alimony and child support. I mean, he was broke and he, and he gets time to get his big check to finally get back to zero. And it was for a retail, a, a jeweler. And, um, and he's like, man, I love this ring. Uh, how about we just do a trade? You guys don't need to pay me. I'll keep this ring. <laughs> and, and my, it was so my dad, you know, it was so my, I mean, my dad's been gone 20 years. And like, as an entrepreneur, I think like it's a reminder, always get paid, you know, like yeah. don't, don't, don't trade anything because it just never works out. But like, but it also just the ring doesn't pay alimony, does it? No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and, and my dad actually gave me that ring the night he died. I mean, like he was dying in bed and he handed it to me, he's like, this is what I want you to have. It was like almost like a movie. And mm. so I love that ring, you know, I absolutely love that ring. And um, that because to me, it that's says a lot. This yeah. It oh. says a lot about, it's not just one small story it's actually no. it's probably related to several different stories yep. f- of your own as well as yes of, of him oh yeah and, my you know, friends my friends have had it in their pocket when they got married i mean like it's a big deal mm. you know and um i have a poker chip i can actually show you right here oh because you collect poker chips don't you i do collect poker chips um it's an un- oh you know what it's in the other room i don't oh here it is nope got it right here so this is a poker chip it's a five dollar poker chip um, at one point in my life, this was the last $5 that I owned. I was an <sighs> addictive gambler. I lost everything. I owed 40000 to a bookie. I mean, it had me. It was it was an addiction that, that had the best of me. And I had $10 left to my name, and I had to get up a mountain <laughs> that night. And so I actually like put my last $10 on the table, or my last $5 to turn it into $10 to get enough money for a cab ride home. This was in the 90s. And, um, and I lost, so I had no money mm. and I, and I had to walk up a mountain and I was walking up. It was a five mile hike up a mountain at 6am in the morning. And I was drunk, hung over, like I'd lost everything. And it was the lowest point in my life at that point. And I remember just walking and the, the cab driver sees me, he picks me up and he's like, he goes, he goes, get in the car, man. I go, I don't have any money. He goes, get in the car right now. Mm. The cab driver who I had judged like for six months in a row, this guy, he's like, you got to stop gambling, dude. You've got to stop. Like your life is a mess if you're walking home. And he dropped me off and he goes, I don't ever want to see you again. And, it, and I, don't, I wish I knew this guy's name. No name cab driver. It says to me, I get home, I start undressing and I find this chip in my pocket. I actually had $5 left. Uh. And, and so that is a legacy item for me. Like I will, I've told that story a hundred times. I'm not embarrassed about my past. I was a mess that's of a person. The, that's your pivot yeah. point. That, that yeah. poker chip is your pivot point. Oh. You, yeah. Yeah. 
and I keep it with me every, I look at it all the time. So like I've got five or six items like that, that I love to talk about mm. uh, a cookbook from my great grand, my great grandma. Like there's just a lot of great items. And I, so I think everybody has five or six and it tells that story and people will tell this story after I'm gone. Somebody in my family will have this chip. Someone will have that ring and, mm. and they'll live on in those story. And you'll get the full story of me, right? Like it's not the, it's not just the good stuff, right? Like I, I tell all the families mm. when I'm working with grandma, I'm like, grandma, I don't want the good stories. I want the stories when you were 18 and you were drinking, you know, smoking a cigarette with someone that wasn't grandpa, right? Like, like <laughs> that's the stuff yeah. I you know your kids need, grandparents need to hear about kids need to hear about that. It's not, not that mm. you're perfect now and you're holding your purse in the corner. And so I, I really try to tell families like the legacy list should be a complete story. It should be five or six items that you've got to keep no matter what. And, and what that does is one, it sets a, it's a story starter. I say like, it's a, it's five or six. I mean, I could go through five items right now. And tell these awesome stories about my family and about me and my kids and, and where we're going. And, I, and, I, and my kids can tell the same stories because they've heard it a hundred times. But what this does is it sets the base for, okay, if my house catches on fire, these five items, I've got them. I'm good. Right. Yeah. And, and nothing else matters. And so why I'm doing that at first, one of the first things you do is establish this legacy list so that it shows you, well, the rest of the stuff's really not that important. Like it's mm. just not. And, and because you've already told these five or six amazing stories and that's really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when, when people are looking to downsize, the thing that they're worried about is fitting all of their memories in their new place. And that's what I love about this legacy list is that it means that you get to have your emotional needs met by a small sample that actually says what all of the other stuff already says as well. So you're actually getting to take away the whole story of everything without all of the, the things and you have your emotional needs met because this is the thing, like a lot of people don't understand necessarily why they're keeping stuff, but it does come down to an emotional need of some kind. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and what you've done with with sort of calling it the legacy list, even just calling it that, but what you're doing is you're actually saying this is the purpose of the stuff is my legacy. <laughs> it's this is why I have stuff and this is why I'm, I'm bringing it along with me. And so if I can do that with a sample, then I don't have to actually be tied down to all of the stuff. And 100%, and here's the kicker on this, it's making you create a list that you then communicate to a third party, right? And that communication is what starts the legacy, uh, right? Yep. Because without telling someone about it, it's, it's not just a legacy. A paper. It's just a thing. It's not yeah. a legacy. And your story, you, you telling that story is what makes it vibrant, right? And so I, it's funny during the pandemic, I had a lot of families start to say to me like, oh yeah, man, I got a, we did a legacy list night with my grandma and she held it. Basically she did a show and tell. She held up a couple items and she told us the story and we recorded it on Zoom. And mm. I'm like, dude, that's amazing. Like I hadn't, even thought of that, you know, and, and all these families started doing it. And I was like, man, everybody's got a bucket list. I want people to start having a legacy list, right? I want everyone to create it before they, you know, as they get older and, you know, the days are gone of us doing this. Like you get, you know, you die and then there's a will and there's some big surprise of some awesome. That's, that's all. That's ridiculous. That's from a TV show now, right? Like the, mm-hmm. what's really happening is we have the chance to communicate what's important to us and tell our family who we are. And we can tell our, you can create your own legacy. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm telling crazy stories about my dad 21 years later 
people that never met my dad, they come at me like, dude, tell that story about your dad, about his funeral. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I mean, my dad, my dad got sick really quick. He had about three weeks to live. So he threw a huge party and he said goodbye to everybody. And so he basically Mm -hmm. threw his own, he got to be at his funeral basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really awesome. And then I got a bill for it like three weeks after he died. <laughs> Even, and that was my dad, you know, and he did not leave me the money to pay for it, by the way. Smart you know? guy. Yeah. Dude. And it was like, it was my dad, you know, it was just, it was crazy stories. And, hmm. but like, that was his legacy. Right. And so people, 20 hmm. years later, people that never met him, they still tell us my kids never, no, no one in my family that is with me now ever met my dad, but they know everything about him and they know the best stories hmm. because we created those, those talking points, those legacy lists. And I, and I just hope families, you know, if you tell the story, you do live forever, even though mm. you pass away. And I'm telling you, the stories are in the items in our house. And you hit on it really well just a second ago. If we have a thousand items, we can't tell and remember a thousand stories, but mm. we can remember five. We can tell and remember five. And yeah. I promise and you, we're I've not so enough. full. Yeah. And we're not yeah. so full that we can't then t- tell them. You know, mm-hmm. we can actually, you know, confidently tell them all over and over again. And this is where storytelling is actually really important is you can write your story down on a piece of paper and stick it you know like when I got stuff from my grandma I had little notes from my aunt that said what the item was but it wasn't a a whole story you know and I think that in the past you know all of the stories were passed down verbally you know and 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 that is the strength of that is the retelling and the retelling and the retelling and I think that you know just the item is the trigger, but the retelling is the important thing. And yeah. by sharing all of our stories, and if we have too many stories, they don't get told. We just are drowned totally. in them, and we're in, we're instead of actually being able to talk about stuff, we're moving stuff, we're dusting stuff, we're trying to fit things around it. You know, instead of talking about it. Uh, so yeah, there's that. I love that idea of this of just really honing in on a few stories or a few items that you can actually make bigger than all of the other yes. stuff through stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I argue you should be able to display them in your home. People should be able to see them. And when you have visitors, they they actually are able to share these stories because mm. that is what it's about. If it's in a storage unit or if it's packed up in a box in the attic, it ain't a legacy list, man, because you're not sharing it. You're not telling people. It's hidden. Yeah. Right? You got to get your – I'm not big on storage, I think uh, – I, I think it's a band-aid. It's an expensive, very expensive band-aid. And I think we yeah. don't need it. If, it. if it, if it fits, if it doesn't fit in your house, I don't know that you really need it. Yeah. Tara yeah. and I did a, a, we've done it, did an episode on storage. Um, I know I listened to it. I wanted to make sure oh. we agreed before I, before I said it. <laughs> I got to know where I'm going, man. I don't want to say uh, the wrong thing. Right. You know, well, it wouldn't matter, you know, differing opinions, yeah. are, you know, um, are fun, but uh, definitely fun to have a chat about, but yeah, we, we share your, we share your, your view on that in that it's a, a massive waste of money um and and time over the years and you actually have you've got some good you've got a good story in your book for people to read about that one oh, as well about the, yeah. the cost of things that was so, devastating oh yeah. a devastating story yeah but it's um, a great you should read the book yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> definitely definitely read it because it can mm. it puts it all into perspective anyone who, if you've got storage that's long term you know, you'll find some perspective mm. if, you know, if you didn't already get it from our podcast episode where we kind of banged you on the head with it, <laughs> you will also get it out of the book. So I have a TV question because okay. people are always interested in the uh, what happens behind the scenes on shows yes. like this. 
And, you know, I have a friend who works on a show, show with Peter Walsh and so I know a little bit about what happens in the background. Uh, but I'm, I think our listeners will be really interested to hear that, you know, you've worked on the show hoarders. What is the difference between what you do with them and what you do with your clients? Because there has to be a difference. I've worked on television myself and I know that you have to stage certain things. Things have to be fudged. Things, there are workarounds. You know, there's the reality of trying to do something with a budget and a short time frame. Yeah. Um, but is there a difference in the outcome for the clients between yours yeah. and those that you work with on TV? So, so most of TV is fake. Let's just get that out front. Mm. The majority of it is. Um, Hoarders, let's talk about Hoarders first and my, my other show second. Hoarders is a TV show that talks about a mental disorder for entertainment. Mm-hmm. You got an ethical issue right off from the back. I'm so glad okay. you said that because I didn't want to say let's, to you because you worked on the no. show, but that's what I believed. <laughs> it's a fact. I mean, that, yeah. that's a fact. And so here's one reason I'm, I'm okay with it. because and I, and I have gone back and forth professionally as I've, because at the end of the day, I'm like, man, we are totally taking advantage of these people by putting them on TV. And mm. the therapists, um, there has to be a therapist on set the whole time, yep. working with them side by side. And then we, we end up getting some of the best in the, in the country, which is good. Um, but we do provide for, for up to a year of therapy on the back end. So after we clean the house, we pay for them to go to therapy. We don't give them the money. The mm. network pays for them. And that was okay. a, when the network, um, about five years ago, they tried to scratch that part. And then all the professionals, both the cleaners and the organizers, all agreed we weren't going to do the show if they didn't do that part. Because otherwise, oh, yeah. I, I think it is unethical, actually. Um, yeah. Because yeah, you, you just, it, you're just using somebody instead of helping totally. somebody, basically. Yeah. You know, and, and I went back and forth. Like, we've really brought awareness for hoarding. I'm proud of that. And we've mm. we've helped people. I, I think we have a some small part of getting it in the DSM-5. And a lot of people have gotten help, and it's great. But we're still putting these individual families on TV in some pretty embarrassing moments. And so um, I'll say this. The good thing about hoarders is it's so extreme that these people would have lost their houses no matter what if we didn't come into play. And so we were able to sometimes mm. either get them new housing or get them help. Is it the right way to help your family doing a forced clean out in eight days with 50 people watching? Absolutely not. It's the probably the worst way you could clean out your house. Mm-hmm. Right? I want you to go to therapy first before you even start on a hoarding situation. I think you should go to some type of therapy first. Then we should do very small cleanouts. Like once a week is ideal, I think, working with a professional organizer to do like an hour at a time. Maybe two mm-hmm. or three hour sessions depends. A lot of organizers can't do that small of a time, but well, um, I do because I know they can't handle you, longer. <laughs> I think at the beginning they just can't. You got to ease into it, right? And I, oh, and I talk it's about it's exhausting for yeah, them. Like it's, it's exhausting. Any organizer who makes somebody who has complex emotional issues or a mental health issue work for more than a couple of hours at a time needs to ethically think needs about to reevaluate. That. I agree, <laughs> and and I'm telling you, I did this on TV, and we, I mean, we finally started putting break days in it. We we work for two days straight and then take a day off, right? We'd go mm. do interviews so the hoarder could have a day off. Um, it's you know, it's not the ideal solution, but for a lot of our hoarders, it's it's actually the worst case, second worst case scenario for a lot of our hoarders to do a forced clean out in that small amount of time because I mean, at first it was a three day clean out. And we changed that to an eight. Now it's an eight day clean out. We have breaks in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I I only do one or two episodes a year of Hoarders now just because I'm getting too old for it. I'm, I'm tired and it's really hard and it's very emotionally draining as well for a cleaner. Mm. And so, you know, I tell families, if you're going to do it yourself, 
Um, the whole family should not be there. It, I would hire, you know, one professional organizer slowly one or two hours at a time at first until you really get to a mental place that they're ready to embrace it. Um, so I think you were very nice in how you answered that. I think you held back. Um, it's absolutely the worst way to do it, the way we do it on Hoarders. And I'm the guy on the show. And that is absolutely, yeah. that's the worst way. Um, but like here's said, the great thing about Hoarders. Oh, yeah, no, you're probably going to answer Well, no, this is, this is important. Hoarders is the only TV show that I've ever been on that is not staged at all. Like, there's not one fake thing. They just keep the cameras rolling. Um, yeah. TV is built on drama, like it or not. And there's a lot of drama. And our, you know, a rat or a cat or a possum or, or a yeah. kangaroo, don't I don't care. Something's going to gonna pop up. Yeah. You don't, yeah, need... You don't need to invent anything no. for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and no. that's the thing, I think. Um, it's, but that's, that's the sort of, and that's the issue that I have a problem with is that the drama is already there. Um, I think no, actually yeah. I prefer invented drama. I prefer it to be like a fake, you know, like, like, um, okay, so you know, when you watch a show like, yeah. like the truckers, for example, like ice yeah. truckers or one of those things where there's always a problem that happens and then they've got to solve it and it's all fake. It's all invented yeah. and all this. And, that, but however, that, and that's all fake, which means that no one's actually suffering. Whereas yeah. when there is actually a person there, yeah. that's when all my right, heart goes, no, you're going to love this story. Oh, good. Okay. okay. And we'll end on, this is great. So on Hoarders, I, and it took the camera guys about five years to realize I was doing this. Um, I would go to the adult son or the adult daughter and I would say, look, when I think your mom's had too much, I'm going to start yelling at you and you and I are going to go to the other side of the yard. And the guys, what do you mean? And I go, cause your mom's going to need a break in the camera. If your mom starts crying, the camera guys are, they, they're their job. Their job is to make a TV show. I go, you and I are here to help your mom. I go, and so if she starts breaking down, the camera guys are going to stay on her. I go, so if Mm. I really think she needs a break, you and I are going to yell at each other and we're going to go to the other side of the yard. And the guy's like, I get it. And so almost every time you see me yelling at at an adult child, you'll never see me yelling at a hoarder, um, but you will see me going at it with the adult children. 99 out of 100 times, that's me trying to get mom a break. Brilliant. And it took the camera guys about five years to figure it out. Uh, it's a shame then, they did. <laughs> well, and then, no, here's and then the they thing. split, like yeah. one stayed on one and one went to follow. No, we've, we've had the same camera guys for 13 seasons. Oh, and cool. it takes, it, it's, you can't put produce, same producers, same sound guys, same camera guys, literally for 13 years. And you can't put a new camera guy into a hoarding situation because they've got to be able to communicate with a hoarder as well. And so we've had the same crew for 13 years and, um, they, they get it. They understand, they understand what we're doing. So they, they're very cool about it. And now they're just like, Oh, we better follow Matt, you know, and just go and and follow me. Cause they, they, they get it. I mean, they understand, honestly, our camera guys know hoarding better than most organizers because they've spent the most time. I mean, they've, they've done over. Well, they've done more episodes than you. Yeah. They've done 200 episodes. I've only done a hundred. Yeah. I mean, they've spent in an average episode is between five and eight days. So think of the amount of days they've spent in a hoarded house, like 12 hour days, more than mm. most professionals. And they understand how to communicate and, and help the hoarder. And at the end of the day, luckily our team, even, I mean, people don't know this. We, we've had two episodes that never aired um, because it was unethical. Once we got into the scenario, we knew this person yeah. either didn't have the mental capacity for us to be there. And one time, 
um, the lady just passed post clean out, she became unstable. And we just thought it was unethical to air it. And the therapist both times were able to go to the network and say, this is wrong. It's going to hurt their mental health. Don't do it. Okay. And, uh, and, and the network actually, when you start talking to lawyers, they, they tend to listen. You know? it was, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it, it's a complicated TV story, I have to say. And I've gone yeah. back and forth multiple times. Did I do the right thing or did I not? Um, I'll argue we, at the end of the day, we did. Could we have done it better at the beginning? Absolutely. But we didn't, we didn't know. Mm. We didn't know at all. And that's, again, again, that's, it's, yeah, it's like, you know, Mm. when you first start doing something, you do make mistakes. And in our professional organizer group, you know, where we, we chat about our experiences and our feelings and all of that kind of stuff. And we tell non-identifiable stories. And one of the topics one week was, you know, what, what faux pas, what professional faux pas have you done? And everyone's like, oh my God. (laughs) And those of us that have been around the longest are like, okay, I've got 27,000 stories to tell you of mistakes I've made. And, and so we all do things, you know, the problem, I mean, I guess, the problem is, you know, when you are dealing with people who have complex needs, the impact of those mistakes is so much greater. Or louder. Yeah. Mm. And so that's I where, you know, you have to be very aware of that. In, mm. in our line of work, your mistakes are louder. Right? Yeah. And if you do, I don't know what the grading system is in, in the States for us. Like I got, I got seven kids, so everybody's in school. Right. And like an 89 is a B, right? 89 out of 100 is a B where we are. Um, well, same. in my job, a, a 99 is an F, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> yeah. I, I gotta, I mean, not that I gotta be perfect, but, and I guess this goes for families listening to professionals and amateurs listening here. You are not going to get a hundred on this. It's not real. It's, it's mm-hmm. not possible. But if mom gives you a hug at the end of the day, then okay, that's an A at least. Like, let's go with mm. that, right? Like, or if you're she gonna lets you back mistakes. in the next day, yeah. <laughs> there's your B. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. I mean, and you're going to make a mistake. You're going to throw something away that mattered. You will forget something at home that you know you'll I, you'll throw away an item that you wish you had. Mm. Um, not as much as you think, though. I'll be honest. Um, I just moved, and and I don't know, man. I the other day, I was someone's like, "What did you not bring that you really wished you brought?" And I was like. Not much of anything, honestly, man. Like a year later, I don't remember. All right. If you had asked me that question a week here, it'd have been a, a list this long, right? Mm. Um, so just know that it, it it's not going to be perfect, but your yeah. life will be better afterwards. You will have ha- more happiness. And I believe that. And um, mm. I, I, I have a whole speech that I give called hug and a check, right? We get a check and we get a hug. I got the best business you could ever have. I it's mean, awesome, someone hugs me gives me an incredible embracing long, way too long hug and then they pay me but like, this is amazing right <laughs> I know. like it's a it's a phenomenal career and if you're just helping your family it is going to give you a chance your your check is going to be the stories right your currency is going to be the stories you're going to learn connection. so much about your family the connection and it'll yeah. make you a stronger family if you get through it but that first day is going to suck man it's going to be mm. horrible like mm. and everyone's going to make mistakes but if you communicate and you listen and you honestly put mom first. I'm, I'm saying mom because it's typically his mom. It's not mm. always. But if you put the, 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 the person first, and if, they're, if they've passed away and it's your loved one, if you put your sibling first, if you both put each other first, it's going to work out, guys. I promise you. And, and you will be a better and stronger family for it. And you'll have stories to tell that will live on forever. And, and man, I feel like I'm preaching here, but that is why I, I wrote this book. Like I want families to experience that joy because it's amazing. Mm. And I feel, I mean, I feel like 
I feel sad for people that don't get to do what I do. And I get to do it every day, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, it's amazing now sitting at a, you know, at a, at a donation store at six 30 on a Friday night is not always fun. Knowing that I got to get my guys home and get, you know, that part of it's tough, but there's um, hard bits, but the rewards, uh, yeah. you know, oh. are so great. Yeah. Yeah, and I hope your listeners will do it. Yeah. Yes, that's a great um, point to end on, that positive point, because I've taken up enough of your time. And your book is out on the 8th of February yep. 2022, uh, which is almost exactly the time that this episode is going to be released, so everyone will be able to buy it, pretty much jump online as soon as you hear this episode and grab Matt's book, which is called... <laughs> Keep the memories, lose the stuff, declutter, downsize, and move forward with your Bam, life. There it is. And for those of you that are only just listening, you cannot see the fact that Matt just put it up to the camera, but you will be able to Google it and you will be able to find it. And we'll also put links in our show notes and, and yeah. things like and that. Hey, so, that, that, that resource section is available yeah. online. Oh, cool. Uh, it, it gets updated uh, online at mylegacylist.com, mylegacylist.com. And all my social media and everything's on there. So hopefully you learned a lot from this episode. I know I did. Uh, it was really interesting listening to Matt. And um, thank you, Matt, for joining us. It was fantastic. Hey, thanks for having me, man. This was awesome. All right. And we'll see the rest of you here next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media, or on our own websites at rebeccamazino.com.au and basklifecoaching.com.